Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. We're launching this podcast to highlight the stories of everyday community leaders who break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. Today, we'll be speaking with Ilana Prus, founder and CEO of Recast City. Welcome, Ilana. Hi, great to be here today. So, Ilana, tell us a little bit about your organization and also the inspiration behind it. So, my firm is called Recast City, and I work with communities to bring small-scale manufacturing businesses into downtowns and main streets and with economic development leadership to support these kinds of small businesses. And when I talk about small-scale manufacturing, I'm talking about businesses that produce some kind of tangible good that you can replicate or package. So my, my shorthand for it is hot sauce, handbags, or hardware. Um, it's everything from the artisans who might be producing something at home to advanced manufacturing, 20, 30 people. Um, but it's modern manufacturing, it's clean, it's quiet. It's, they're great neighbors and they're phenomenal at filling our storefronts and creating great jobs in our community. So I work all over the country, um, working with communities that recognize that this business sector is important to them how to grow it, how to support it, and then where to put it. Um, and very excitedly, I have a book coming out in just a month on June 22nd that is all about how to do this. And it's called Recast Your City, How to Save Your Downtown with Small-Scale Manufacturing. So what got you into this field and what's your inspiration behind it? I got into this field a long time ago doing city planning work. So I originally came at this from the perspective of how do we create downtowns that are thriving? And this is, if we think before the last big recession, downtowns were not necessarily hot all over the country. Um, there wasn't this automatic um, buzz around uh, development downtown. And I worked with a, a great crew of people all over the country figuring out how do we bring housing and transportation options all into the center of our cities again. And as I did that work over the years, I realized that we kept talking about um, having housing and jobs in our downtowns and in our communities, but we never talked about what kinds of jobs, what kinds of businesses, what would make the biggest difference for the most people. And as I started looking into it, I realized that there was this really exciting opportunity around the growth of these small what most people call micro enterprises, um, these small businesses that were making things again in our country. We think back 10 years ago, we were mostly still thinking about manufacturing leaving the country, but there was this amazingly exciting, almost underground movement of people who were starting to make things, um, makers, pop-up markets, artisans were just starting to become a thing um, in a lot of different places. And we've seen this explosion over the last 10 years across the country of this sector from the artisans to the advanced manufacturing, let alone more recently, this recognition that our supply chain needs to be safer within the country um, because of the pandemic and, and recovering from it. So I was all about place. Um, I talked all about the economic power of great places. And then I sort of launched myself into this world of small scale manufacturing and put the two together because small scale manufacturers are they're just these exciting businesses to be able to see in a storefront. You can look in the window, see something being made, um, feel excited about that, but also proud about your community. Um, and they, these businesses create great jobs. They're generally paying 50 to 100% more than service or retail jobs. 
So they become a great opportunity to really build, build wealth in our communities and they're accessible. We have people who produce things from every different part of our population. And so it's, for me, it's really about how are we creating more opportunity for more people, but also in more places. We have places that have been left behind historically in our economic opportunity, and we have people who've been left behind as well. Wow, there's so much to unpack here. I will ask the obvious question first, which is how do Main Street businesses compete with online retailers? That's a great question. So Main Street has a very special thing about it, right? It's the experience of walking down the street, seeing people you know, ideally, in those storefronts, having their businesses there. Um, but it's also about being being somewhere with people from your community, being out and about to to see and be seen, right? We 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 haven't been doing that recently so much because of COVID, but we are coming back to it. Um, and the magnetic attraction to experience something with a group of people is always there. One of the magical things to me about it's not magical, but one of the competitive edge ideas about small scale manufacturing businesses in these storefronts is that they're both selling in the storefront, but they're also selling online. And the product businesses that are becoming the most competitive are either in this very custom niche specialized product as part of a supply chain and can do quick turnaround and response, or they're part of an artisan community where they're doing something similar. It's custom, but they also have this great compelling story um, and unique set of products. We know people are making candles, for instance, all over the country. Every community I've been to, I've met somebody who's making candles, also chocolates. Um, and But the story of why they're making it and how they're making it and the ingredients that they're using are unique to each place and each person. And so a lot of it is about getting the story of that specific producer out, showcasing it both in their storefront, but also in how they communicate online. And the thing that is most exciting to me about these businesses is that um, they have, they are more nimble as a small business. They're selling in person, they're selling online to consumers, and sometimes they're also selling wholesale um, to other sellers. And so they have this ability to be more flexible as unfortunately more catastrophes may happen or things change in their local environment. Yes. So I live in Dunedin, in a small town, and we have an, an amazing main street. And every weekend it's packed with people from the suburbs coming to this small town to experience the, and I think you said candles and chocolates. I think every small town also has their own brewery. If you're lucky. <laughs> yes, yes. If you're lucky. Yeah. It's, it's really uh, catching on. So Let's talk a little bit about uh, underrepresented communities and their challenges around uh, getting access to uh, storefront space, et cetera. Because when you look at how this happens, access to capital becomes a big player, right? Because you need to have a lease, you need to have the ability to show uh, revenue or cash flow to be able to even get this space. How do you uh, advise or what do you tell these cities uh, to level the playing field for these underrepresented entrepreneurs? I think it's interesting to think about where have all of our resources gone in the past. We've been spending money on economic development for a long time. So spending money on small businesses and supporting business growth in economic development is not a new idea. I think the question that most places never asked before is who benefits from it. And when we get, when I work with communities, we very specifically, and this is actually in step one in the book, because the book is really a how-to DIY book, um, it's, it's asking these really hard questions. 
right? What are you trying to achieve? People do a lot of hand-waving about that in economic development, you know this. And who should benefit from it? People are so scared to answer that question. And what I say to them is if you can't be explicit about who's going to benefit from the program, the same people who always benefited from the program will just get it again. And so if we can be explicit and say, we want to make sure business owners of color will benefit from this investment. We want to make sure that black women business owners benefit from this investment. Um, we want to make sure that our immigrant population benefits from this investment. Whatever it is, when we can be as specific as that, then we can also make sure that the things that we're investing in serve their specific needs. One of the things I think is really important to recognize is that not everybody benefits in the same way or not everybody's served by the same program in the same way. Um, I can't tell you the number of communities I've gone to with the, really the best intentions who have startup programs. The startup program is in the innovation district, in the tech sector. Um, and then when I go into neighborhoods and I'm interviewing um, black business owners, Latino business owners, Asian business owners that are not tech, they say, well, that startup program isn't for me and it's not accessible. I don't have a car, I can't get there. It's on the other side of the city. It's definitely not for me. And the people who run the city or run that program have no idea that they've created this, this set of barriers for people to access what they want to offer. And so sometimes it's as easy as, it's not easy, but it's as straightforward as talking to those business owners to understand what works and what doesn't work for them. What are the barriers that they are facing? And then talking to the people who run a program like that and say, well, can we create a, a run of your program in that neighborhood, in their community center, where it is directly accessible to folks. So that's that's some of the, the things that we start talking to people about, but those barriers are also, like you said, the access to capital, or in some ways, um, not more importantly, but in parallel to that access to affordable space. So you talked about the, the cost of storefronts. I believe that commercial space storefront space that is affordable for local locally owned businesses is a public good. Very similar to the way affordable housing is a public good that we invest in. And so if we're investing in affordable housing, which is I think very important to do in all of our communities, making sure that we're investing in affordable commercial space so that locally owned businesses can continue to afford storefronts over the long term, especially as a place gets hot becomes a hot market and becomes a, a major attraction, um, that's an important use of our, our funding. So it can be direct capital directly to a small business so that they can use it to, to pay for the space. It can be a community buying real estate um, and, and discounting the cost of the ground floor space for locally owned businesses. It can be public-private partnerships um, so that they're working with a private owner um, so that there's an incentive to provide some space that is a, at a lower market or below market rate for these locally owned businesses. But I do think that affordable commercial space is an important public good that we start looking at as a key investment to support our economy. When our storefronts, especially when we look at neighborhood main streets um, in, in some of our larger cities, um, we have neighborhood main streets that have been neglected in a lot of neighborhoods that have been underinvested in for a long time because of redlining, um, because of um, racism in banking, um, all sorts of systemic issues that we need to really address. 
when people want to go into those spaces and start investing in them, we don't want to displace the locally owned businesses. We want to figure out how to do yes and, right? It's the, it's the tool from improv, yes and. We want to have the locally owned businesses, yes, and we want to add more investment and we want to add more businesses. So how are we creating the policy mechanisms to allow us to do yes and? So one of the things we've learned is when you say it's for everyone, the small businesses automatically say it's not for me. So that it's, we tend to tell our uh, clients and our partners, don't use that uh, resource for everyone. Try to be intentional about it because it'll actually serve people better. Uh, and then the second piece that you've uh, touched on that I want you to kind of go a little deeper into is the social cost and not just the economic cost, right? Because if you remove an an anchor bar or an anchor coffee shop or this corner store that was the watering hole for the community. If you remove that, it's not just the economic impact, but the social impact. In fact, I was uh, talking to somebody where they were talking about the cost of happiness. Like you've removed a, uh, a pivot, a pivotal uh, resource in the community that allows people to gather, congregate, etc. So when we talk about uh, kind of leveling the play, playing field and giving um, uh, minority business owners access to the space, especially in hot markets, we're actually also helping the community revitalize, uh, right? So can you talk to the social impact of this a little bit more? Sure. I think we we think a lot about housing displacement um, and we don't think about commercial displacement. But when commercial displacement happens, a neighborhood really starts to lose its identity. And so the people who've lived there for a long time, when they see their local businesses being displaced, I don't think anybody's done the study, although I'd love to know if they did. My guess is if we did a study, if they if we see them lose their commercial space, then they're more likely to to leave the neighborhood because they don't it's not their neighborhood anymore. Um, and so when we're looking at how are we growing community identity, how are we investing in a place with the people who live there, then that commercial storefront, those 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 commercial spaces, those storefronts become that much more important as part of their identity of retaining ownership um, as as investment comes to a place because we do have a lot of places that need investment but hopefully by working with those people to retain the commercial spaces at least some of them then that's one of the ways that we really help create more of an incentive for people to stay and and benefit from the investment that's coming into their neighborhood if we think about areas with empty lots of empty, empty storefronts um, if we can help local businesses become um, tenants in those storefronts, then as investment comes, they're going to benefit from it is the, is the hope and the intention. So can you give us an example of uh, a city that you've been working with you working with that has revitalized their downtown or the main street and are doing it really well, just as a way for us to look at as a blueprint? Sure. There's a couple of different places we can talk about. Um, one area is an exciting uh, part of Columbia, Missouri. So they have an improvement district that's not downtown, that's north of downtown called The Loop. Um, it is four lanes, truck traffic, um, not a place you want to walk along the street right now. But the property owners got together and created an improvement district and said, you know, we know we can be so much more. And the city rezoned the whole area for mixed use. Um, the market is not there for mixed use right now. And so part of their question was, well, what, can, what should be our identity? What, what is this area of the city? We're not downtown. 
in Columbia, Missouri, downtown is really owned by the, the University of Missouri college students. Um, and when we worked with them, people resoundingly said, we want a place we can go with our families. We want a place of commerce. We want a place for our businesses. Um, and they have the, the woman, um, Carrie Gartner, who runs the, the economic, um, the improvement district, she said it perfectly. She's like, there's this hidden economic engine that I just didn't know was there. And it's all of these product businesses that are so excited to be vendors at events, be profiled and, and, and be a part of the programming they're starting to create. And they created the whole brand of this corridor and its future based on product businesses and the artisans of the community, um, while also partnering with the community college that's on that corridor on a makerspace and an advanced manufacturing training program. And then out of our work together, we also found that there was a huge demand for a commercial shared kitchen. And they, even during the pandemic, managed to open a commercial shared kitchen, very specifically focusing on a mission-driven commercial shared kitchen to benefit um, Black and Latino and other uh, business owners of color within the community who have outgrown their homes, but can also access training for food product businesses in this commercial kitchen, which has been really exciting to see. And um, the other one uh, is in South Bend, Indiana, and they really wanted to acknowledge and sort of honor their manufacturing history and build on that. And so we worked with them to find a ton of these micro product businesses and really realized that they have so many in the community. It's not about launching new ones. It's about how do we help the existing ones get stronger and scale if that's what they want to do. And so this past year, actually earlier this year, they launched a new program um, called Scaling Up South Bend that's matching a cohort of business owners with training that's specifically for product business owners, existing product business owners to help them scale with subsidized space um, in an in a industrial area that's, that's coming back to life that's right next to downtown where they want to have buildings that have multiple um, small-scale manufacturing tenants, sort of like co-work for, for small-scale manufacturing. And so it's really the pairing of that training and that subsidized space with a focus on business owners that have not benefited from the city's programs in the past and with a strong focus on, on Black and Latino business owners as well. So can you give me the cliff notes on your book not because we don't want uh, our users uh, and our audience to read the book, but uh, what are the first two or three steps that somebody who's listening uh, and can influence Main Street decision making or is part of the local board? What are the first two or three steps, just as like a sneak preview, if, we, if you will? Uh, and then, of course, tell us how we can get your book and is there a pre-order uh, available? Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, so the book is a how-to. It is... Um... I, I describe it as a mashup between a, a DIY workbook, you know, accessing workbook with a economic self-help book. Um, we've been doing it wrong in the past. Here's how we do it better. And there's five steps. Um, and the book is very clear about here are the five steps to doing this differently. The first step is about being really clear about those outcomes and about who should benefit um, and provides a whole set of questions to really take you, you and your community through to really think about differently, what are you trying to achieve and who should benefit from it? The second step is talking to new, not even talking to new people, but, but coming up with lists of new people 
to talk to because the only way we can understand what's going on differently is by talking to new people and talking to pe asking people different questions. And so it's all about how to go find small scale manufacturing business owners, how to find connectors. I talk about connectors with a capital C because they're really a, a, a valued, um, they're really a high value individual in our community that both has a strong set of connections within a specific population in our community, but also is thinking very forward in a very forward way about the potential of the community. They believe in the future of that community and they believe in the future of that downtown or that main street and how those connectors can help us bring more people and new people into those conversations. And then about property owners and other key individuals to bring into the conversation as well to get a clear understanding of, of what are those assets that are already in the community that they can build on, but also what are the big challenges and what are the different challenges that different parts of the population are facing and being really clear eyed about that. So those are the first two steps. Um, the book is uh, on sale now for pre-order. Thank you for asking. Um, you can get all the details about it and access to the first chapter for free by going to recastyourcity.com. And that is a pl great place to go. Um, the publisher is also running a special through the months of May um, to have a special discount if anybody wants to buy 10 or more and give them out to your city council or your economic development staff um, or your, your local team, whoever they may be. Um, but um, we'll also be able to provide a discount code for folks who want to buy individual uh, copies as well. And if there are... Um other uh, information that you can provide. We'll actually put it in the show notes. So Great. it'll be available uh, after this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the tools that can help with recasting your, uh, your city. Uh, so for example, uh, uh, manufacturing, small manufacturing, uh, maker spaces. What are some things that the city can do to spur economic activity and get people to start thinking about manufacturing? Because manufacturing has this kind of uh, roadblock here, like it's all made in China, we can't compete, right? How can the city uh, facilitate some uh, innovation locally? So one of the reasons that we have them go out and find the small scale man manufacturers first is because then it grounds them in actually who is in their community and they get a clear picture that this isn't manufacturing that needs a million square feet. This is a person who might need 500 square feet. And it, 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 it really reshapes the way somebody experiences and understands who this is in their community. So we work with them to focus on um, how to support their existing businesses and grow those businesses within their community as a, as a primary step, and then investing in two different sides with them, both training for um, startups, but as well as scaling up product businesses, and then space for those businesses and the sort of the continuum of the different kinds of spaces and the different size spaces that those businesses need. And I believe that it's the pairing of those two pieces that really makes for a, a successful small business sector um, that becomes a, a really important part of the local economic development strategy, the pairing of the training and support with the, the real estate space and then obviously, as you talked about before, we need to layer capital on top of that. We know that there has been an enormous lack of capital um, to um, our, our business owners of color, and we need to change that. So um, things like helping set up funds that are specific to uh, business owners of color, um, micro grant programs, 
uh, loan accessing existing loan programs. There's so much translating that just needs to happen. We have revolving loan funds all over the country that got funding from the CARES Act, right? Long ago, it almost feels like that are sitting on this funding because people don't know how to access it. And the people who run the revolving loan funds a lot of times don't know how to find the right people. And so there's just a lot of um, facilitation and connecting that needs to happen in, in access to the capital. Um, and then the other part of it is really thinking about um, how are we building the rest of that ecosystem? Like you were talking about, what are those spaces that people need? Who can provide that kind of support? What's the role for the banks? What's the role for the community colleges? Um, how do we invest in this kind of affordable space and make it a public good? Um, who are the property owners who are excited to do something like this anyway? And how do we support them in getting there faster? Are there policy incentives? Are there financial incentives? There's a lot of different ways to get there. There's another question on top of people's mind, which is around uh, COVID. And what is the impact uh, look like and what will the recovery look like? Given that you're so close to this work, can you kind of help us understand what the recovery from COVID will look like for Main Street business, especially restaurants uh, that uh, took a really big hit? You know, what does this recovery look like for them? I think the pandemic has, I'm not the first person to say this, right? It's transformed not only how we work, but where we work. And the reality is that in some ways it's created the opportunity to create successful businesses anywhere. Um, it, because of our adoption of technology, because of the push to have to sell online, the ability to have one of these product businesses anywhere in the country has really exploded. And it injects new economic opportunity into our smaller cities. And so all of a sudden, a lot of cities where they didn't win the recruitment competition for better or for worse, um, their major industry left a decade ago or 50 years ago. Um, they have this opportunity with the right steps to all of a sudden create good paying jobs, have new business growth, invest in their downtowns, even in places that have historically struggled. So I think that we're going to, we have this opportunity to see an explosion of these small businesses really anywhere in our small cities across the country. The restaurant question, I think, is fascinating because I've been talking to more people in the restaurant sector who are now looking at food packaging as part of their nimbleness, right? Do they have a sauce? Do they have a product that they can bottle and package um, that can be an added source of revenue for them so that they're not just dependent on takeout and, and in-person sales? And so and the same thing with with product businesses. There were people who were growing their business a lot because of they were doing in-person markets on the weekends. Well, those dried up. I was talking to somebody out in, in LA County and she said she had to stop doing all of the markets when the pandemic closed. She immediately turned and pivoted and figured out how to do wholesale, right? So people by the nature of need and desperation have completely changed the way they're doing their, their business. But you know, this rapid adoption of technology during the pandemic means that you can launch the businesses from anywhere, young families can go back to their hometown if that's what they want to do. Um, but that people can be in a place where they can be, they can experience being part of the growth and being being a part of the success, which I think is a very strong draw for some people. Um, and it, it's exciting also because the access to entrepreneurship and education is also now more out there. Um, you can find trainings or mentors for your business. Um, online, 
Um, and so it's not about just about being in one place where you maybe can access the mentors in that one place. Um, the challenge is, is that a lot of times these local, the local governments don't recognize this. They're not doing anything to support it. Um, they're not recognizing these business owners and, and finding ways to support them or create space for them. And, um, and they're really, you know, a lot of these businesses are still going it alone um, when really they could be, they could be the businesses that define the downtown, right? They, they, you can get, it's, it's the, it's not even just a one, two punch. It's like the first five punches, right? It's, it's business ownership opportunity. It's job creation. It's businesses that define the downtown. It's, you know, creating a destination that then attracts other people there. The number of benefits you get out of this is just sort of endless. Um, and obviously becomes a way to attract more entrepreneurs invest and investors to the city over time once you see that that you're building energy in a place and it's not just a pastor anymore. So this is a question that I ask uh, all of our uh, guests, which is how can somebody get into the space that you're in? So if a practitioner is listening and wants to do something like this in their community or wants to uh, set up uh, an organization that can help with uh, supporting um, Main Street businesses, uh, what, how would they go about doing it? And also, what have been some lessons learned for you in your journey that if somebody is starting out would love to know uh, and avoid if possible? Uh, so yeah, what have you learned and how can somebody kind of be part of this work or even work with you or work uh, in their own space that they're in today? So um, I'm super accessible. If people um, go to recastyourcity.com, you can get the first chapter. You get an email from me. It, honestly, it comes right right back to me if anybody wants to reply and, and understand how to bring this kind of work to their community. So that's that's the easy one. Um, if people want to work on this in the community, I think the two most important steps are to go out and talk to the business owners that you think you want to benefit. Talk to them in one-on-one -on -one conversation. Ask them what works and what doesn't work. I think the most important thing and the thing that so many, so many people in places forget is to talk to the people you're trying to benefit. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to create a program that you know people need and that it, it in fact de-risks the investment from the community. Just like we do in the tech sector when we do user research, it's the exact same idea. That's one of the steps. One of the five steps in there is about doing those kinds of interviews. I think it's number three. Um, and then finding out what's out there. What kind of small business support is already there? There's a lot of areas that have small business development centers. What kind of support are they offering? Are there other entrepreneurship programs? A lot of times those programs, unfortunately, aren't talking to each other. They don't know what each other is offering. And they're not reaching their target audience in a lot of cases. So understand what's already working. Not what's not only what's there, but what is working and what are the gaps and really focus on the gaps that need to be filled to benefit the people you're trying to benefit. And that brings us back to that first question of who are you trying to benefit, right? So that's a big part of the process um, that we, we recommend folks go through. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you don't mind mentioning how people can get access to your book one more time uh, and uh, and then we will close this show. My pleasure. So you can go to recastyourcity.com for everything about the book and you can get the first chapter for free to download there. Awesome. We'll have that in the show notes. 
Thank you so much, Ilana, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polraj. Special thanks to Sri Sundaram for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.